This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate Now to become a supporter. Hey, what's up? It's Jenny Almoskew. I host on Sirius XMU via satellite radio airwaves and uh, write about music when uh, they're nice about it. And you're listening to The Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt. Here we go. Break it, break it down like good. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area. It's my pleasure to welcome you to episode 205. We're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, April 22nd. My name is Matt Baum. You might remember me. I'm at Matt Baum, seen on the Twitter. And when I'm not breaking the Cincinnati Reds manager, Brian Pierce's record of dropping 78 F-bombs while getting escorted out of the Coachella Festival after being mistaken for Justin Bieber, I write the comic speculator blog for WorthPoint.com. Is it Brian Pierce or Brian Price? Because you wrote Brian Price. Brian Price, I said Pierce. Sure did. Price! <laughs> I'll plug it in. All right, and I'm Joe Patrick. That's at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. When I'm not serving my co-host divorce papers via Facebook, rude, I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Unquestionably not legal. This week, you'll hear our reviews of Empire Uprising and Captara number one. After that, we'll review ten more of this week's new comics faster than Frank Miller can further upset Dark Knight fans during the ludicrous speed round. Then... We'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where the rumors of my death have obviously been greatly exaggerated, and Snake Eyes Ghost is shockingly getting vocal about the whole thing. And finally, this show somehow came off the rails when I took a week off, so we're going to set things right and review Sex Castle during our Take a Look, It's in a Book segment. But before we place our NFL draft bets that put alleged rapist and all-around terrible person Jameis Winston going in the fourth round to the Raiders where he belongs, let's take a deep breath because we're a week away from Avengers 2. <sighs> I know. And then we can talk about this week's big news. DC and Warner Brothers have announced DC Superhero Girls, a new initiative aimed specifically at a 6 to 12 year old female audience. See, I wouldn't have guessed that by the title. It's a little on the nose. <laughs> DC Superhero Girls will follow the adventures of DC's most popular female heroes and villains as teenagers. Yeah, I wouldn't have guessed that either. Prior to discovering their full superpower potential. The line will debut in the fall and roll out through 2016 in the form of comics, TV specials, made for video... Made for videos... <laughs> Like direct-to-video, maybe? Direct-to-video, I guess. I don't know. There's typos all up and down this press release. Toys, apparel, books, and more. DC Entertainment will collaborate with Mattel, Random House, and Lego to broaden the scope of the product line. In a statement, DC Entertainment President Diane Nelson said, quote, DC Superhero Girls... DSHG represents the embodiment. <laughs> that was me. I added that. Uh, that's how we refer to it from now on. DSHG represents the embodiment of our long term strategy to harness the power of our diverse female characters. I am so pleased that we are able to offer relatable and strong role models in a unique way just for girls. End quote. Matt, reaction to this announcement has been largely positive. What do you think? I don't think it's a bad thing. I mean, yeah, DC is trying to get a younger audience, and obviously girls of that age are probably vastly underserved by most of the books on the stands. It just, I don't know, I get a little scared when we start doing things just for girls or just for dudes. Like, why can't we... Graciously well, we have, incorporate. We know? have a thing that's just for dudes. It's right. called everyday life. No, and that's <laughs> fair enough. But like, I, it just seems so on the nose. And I wish they could gently well, incorporate it. You know what I mean? Yes, 
I mean, something has to be done. Right. No, and I agree. And, and uh, this audience, the female audience in general, and young females specifically, need to know that there's something for them too. No, but that's true. Uh, where I kind of get caught up, it's not the idea that they're making a push like this. I think it's great. I think it's long overdue. Yeah. But I read a, a great piece on comic book resources about what that writer hopes to see with the new line. It's really obvious stuff like take it easy with the pink <laughs> don't leave out the male characters yes, that's what i'm saying show right real diversity in race and body types not just gender and don't just call it good with this and not make the same strides in your main line yes that's and that's where i'm going with that I, there was a side note twitter earlier this week i someone put up a picture and i don't remember who it was but it was a picture of it was a note that came in a Lego set from the 70s. Oh, yeah, I saw that. It was, and it was basically saying, look, Legos are for everyone. They're not for boys. They're not for girls. They're for everybody. Yeah, Some awesome. boys want to play with dolls. Some girls want to play with cowboys. That's okay. What's important is you stimulate creativity in kids, period. And yes, that- 40 years ago, Lego got it. Right. And that's my point here. Like, it, this is DC going, hey, we're going to do this for the girls. Just be careful and tread lightly and make it for everybody and- it doesn't have yes. to be, you know, like super cutesy and girl, girl, girl. I mean, like it can be just fun. Right. Like <laughs> the, the, this, the CBR writer said, you know, it's not going to do any good to have this to have this initiative where there's this world full of this universe full of uh, teen girl characters and then just pretend like there's no Batman or no Superman. Like right. they, they exist separately right don't say hey girls you get to go in this corner and enjoy your thing exactly. meanwhile i'm gonna go read uh batman endgame or whatever right. let the new initiative inform the primary dc universe make it a part of the big picture yes. part of the community not just a place where girls get shoved to the side while the status quo remains unchanged i couldn't agree more now that we've established we hate girls, let's move on. The 2015 Eisner Award nominations were announced on Wednesday, recognizing some of the best that comics had to offer in 2014. It's weird, but you know, you got to do the year It's before. like the Oscars. They, yeah. they, they can't predict what's going to be the best. They're last year's movies. <laughs> Joe and I are going to take a look at some of the categories and call our shots. Best single issue or one shot. These are always tough. And there's a lot of really good stuff here, but I find it hard to believe the Multiversity Pax Americana doesn't get it. It's true. Like, there's a lot of stuff nominated that I haven't read, like the Madman In Your Face 3D special. It was cool. Astro City 16, I'm way behind on that book. Yeah, me too. Uh, Beasts of Burden, Hunters and Gatherers. I don't even remember there being a Beast of Burden. I don't either. I'm not sure. The Marvel 75th Anniversary Celebration was also nominated. That was surprisingly good. But, yes, how do you not give it to Pax Americana? It's, it's Pax Americana. Best continuing series, you've got the usual contenders like Astro City, Hawkeye, Saga, and uh, Southern Bastards. Walking Dead. Puzzlingly, The Walking Dead is nominated. I haven't cared about that book in years. Uh, and Bandit by Paul Tobin and Colleen Coover. I find it hard to believe that Saga will not just win. Saga wins. I, and you can't give it to Hawkeye. I'm sorry. We all loved Hawkeye, but Hawkeye got so screwed up. It was a victim of its own creator upheaval. You just can't give it that award. I'd like to see Astro City win. Just because, hey... It's, yeah, it's, it's back sweet. and it's still as it's good sweet. as it ever was. Best limited series. It's got to be Little Nemo, right? Return to Slumberland. That <laughs> book is insanity. It's that, so beautiful. <laughs> yes, that book is great, but it's also up against uh, Sandman Overture, right. The Private Eye by Brian K. Vaughn. I would like to see The Private Eye. The Multiversity and Daredevil Road Warrior, which is an odd choice for nomination. Not that it was bad, but no. Best, best limited. Yeah, I don't know. 
uh, for me, it's the private eye. But I would like to see the private eye win. That. I think it's going to be the the private eye or multiversity for sure. I think that's a safe bet. Same in Overture should be punished for putting out yeah two issues per calendar year. You don't get an award for that. Screw you. Finish this series and we'll talk about it. Best new series. The Fade Out by Brubaker and Phillips, Lumberjanes, Ms. Marvel, Rocket Raccoon, and The Wicked and Divine. I think Ms. Marvel wins this on press alone. Ms. Marvel is uh, nominated for a lot of stuff. G. Willow Wilson also nominated in our next category, Best Writer. Adrian Alfona, artist of Ms. Marvel, nominated for Best Penciler slash yeah, Inker. I think Ms. Marvel wins this by a landslide. Agreed. Yeah. Best Writer. Yeah, you have the usual lineup. You've got Jason Aaron, Kelly Sudaconic, Grant Morrison, Brian K. Vaughn, G. Willow Wilson, and Jing Luen Yang. I love that Jean Luen Yang is nominated, and I'd like to see him win just because he's different. I would too, but uh, I think it's going to come down to Aaron or Morrison. I think it would be huge if G. Willow Wilson uh, won it, it. That would be an upset. That would be really nice. Uh, again, it's hard to imagine a world where Brian K. Vaughn does not win every category he's nominated for. Right. They should just give out an Eisner every year for being Brian K. Vaughn. Yeah, and the Brian K. Vaughn Award goes to Grant Morrison. Oh, man. <laughs> what an upset. <laughs> and the last one we'll talk about today, Best Penciler slash Inker. This is an artist that does double duty. There is no Best Inker category. Our buddy Bruce McCorkendale yeah, brought that stupid. up on Twitter. It sucks. It's stupid. Because you've got a Best Painter category. Right. Why isn't there a Best Inker category? It's like not having a Best Comedy or a Best Horror in the Oscars. Oh, wait, they don't. You've got Best Letterist and Best Colorist. You don't have a Best Inker? Give me a break. Yeah. Adrian Alfona, like we said, Mike Alred, Frank no Quietly. Best Ladder? I mean, come on. <laughs> uh, Francois Schwiten. Never heard of him. Yep. Fiona Stapes. Babs Tar for Batgirl. Yeah. Which, I mean, I like Babs Tar. I, I just, do too, but I don't like. I'm sorry, having Mike Alred and Babs Tar both, you know, nominated. It's, it's weird. Like, right? There is no Babs Tar without Mike Alred. Agreed. <laughs> there is no a lot of people without. Yeah, Mike Alred. I, like, but that's my point. And she's great. She's perfectly talented. But like, obviously, uh, Fiona Staples won this award last year. I'd love it if Alfona won. I love that dude. I think Frank quietly walks away with this on the strength of one comic, maybe. Yeah, well, maybe. Maybe you're right. I don't know anything about Francois Schwiten. I don't either, because we're bad at our job. But the Eisner committee obviously loves his work. I think it's either Staples or Quietly. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. The full list of categories and nominees can be found on any comic news site. But except ours. Except ours. But all you really need to know is that neither THN nor Jason Sachs' American Comic Book Chronicles, the 1970s, were nominated. So the boycott starts now. We're never talking about this again. Except when it comes down to, you know, betting then. Oh, yeah. Well, when make, there's money involved. Make some scratch off these assholes. <laughs> Finally, Valiant Entertainment has signed a five-picture deal with Sony Pictures to bring their own cinematic universe to life. The deal will focus on Bloodshot and Hardbringer, pardon me, <laughs> with both properties getting two films each, culminating with a crossover movie called Hardbringer Wars. <laughs> Sorry. God, we're dumb. The, <laughs> the films will debut as early as 2017, according to The Hollywood Reporter. Bloodshot will be brought to the screen by John Wick directors David Leach and Chad Stileski. I loved John Wick. Oh, dude, me too. With a screenplay by Kick-Ass 2's Jeff Wadlow and The Things, I Eric Heiserer. I did not love Kick-Ass 2. I didn't even watch it. It was not good. Heiserer is also writing the Harbringer screenplay. I can't even say it properly now. I know. Though no director is attached to that project yet. 
Matt, listeners may remember us discussing that Valiant scored a huge funding deal not more than a month ago. These guys are moving fast. They really are. And if Valiant can bring half of the quality that they bring to their comics to the movie screen, they win. They totally win. Absolutely. The tough sell is going to be who the hell are these guys? That's it. Like the same problem with like John Wick. John Wick was a great movie and it starred arguably a very recognizable movie star who hasn't done a lot in the past 10 years. And it was a hard sell to get people to watch it, but it got good reviews and it made money on the back end through DVD sales or streaming or whatever. That could be the tough sells. Like, who the hell is Harbringer? Most people out there have no fucking idea. <laughs> who the hell is Harbringer? Yeah, what is this, porn? <laughs> and Bloodshot. I just think the toughest sell is going to be, who are these guys? Yeah, I mean, really... But I do think the movies will be good. I don't think... Unlike something like The Avengers, which is full of household names... Right. The Valiant movies aren't going to get a lot of attention as comic book movies unless they're oscar nominated like birdman <laughs> like birdman birdman <laughs> which could be tough bloodshot or the importance of being albino <laughs> that is the big news for this week if you'd like to discuss these stories or any eisner nominated comics you think we didn't read hit us up on the thn forums where joe and i are pretending we not only read all of the Eisner nominees, but had some insight to what was going to win. And then we'll tell you to put your money on our picks for next year. It's a real racket we got going on. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Every Sunday, the best professional comic book betting handicapper in the business, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week in the THN forums. Joe, I want to know your locks for the Eisners and what we're asking the listeners this week. I think 2016 is really our year. Yeah, for, I agree. For best comic book... Uh, what is the name of the category? CBR won it last year. It's oh, not journalism or something. Best like that? comic book related journalism. Something like that. Yeah. We're certainly not going to win any podcast awards anytime. No. Soon. <laughs> What's that thing called? Uh, <laughs> this week's question comes to us courtesy of Anthony from Brooklyn. Anthony. Quote. So uh, we were watching Return of the Jedi at my house <laughs> and uh, I know my kids are going to love the Ewoks. And I when you. I was eight years old. I thought the Ewoks were awesome. But nerds today always trash them. So here's my question. What do nerds trash today that you thought was cool when you first saw it? And is it still cool today? I love that Anthony's like a, the dock worker from like Law and Order that they talk to. And like, you see it in this girl? Yeah, I seen it. <laughs> <laughs> it was two years ago on a Tuesday, but uh, I remember, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, obviously. <laughs> You have until 5 p.m. this coming Friday. Real quick, let's clarify. So basically, you liked it as a kid. You thought it was cool. You grow up. Eh, you still think it's pretty cool, but a lot of people are like, no, that's not cool. Yeah, something you loved from childhood that people look back in hindsight and go, oh, man, that sucked. Okay. Like. You're going to defend it. Rob Liefeld. <laughs> Sorry, Rob. Oh, but that's <laughs> fair, yeah, right? People look totally back at those fair. old Rob Liefeld comments yes. and they go, ugh. Yeah, for reasons that are good. <laughs> I saw that I saw that infamous event Evangeline covered just the other day. Oh, Somebody brought it in to try to sell it to me. All right. You have until 5 p.m. this coming Friday, May 1st. Mayday. To get us your answer. That's a for real deadline this time because we are recording on Friday. You can call and leave a message with your answer using Skype. The Skype handle is two at a nerd, all one word. Or call the Ziggurat hotline 402-819-4894. Or you can send an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. But whatever you do, keep it under two minutes. 
We'll cut you off. We ain't scared of it. If you need more time than that, go to the THN web forums and feel free to write to your heart's content. Extent. To your heart's extent. (laughs) It's review time on THN where Matt and I finally kiss on camera after four seasons of disagreeing about almost everything. What is that a reference to? You know, Moonlighting. Oh, Moonlighting. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, they never got together. Oh, it really went downhill after that. Yeah. (laughs) It's over. Matt, I've been begging you to shave for four damn years now. Obviously, you don't care what I, I feel. Liked how this. I feel. I don't know. You brought a co-host on with a beard, too. Yeah, I didn't kiss him. <laughs> what did you review this week? Not what I heard. I reviewed Captara, number one, from Image Comics, written by Chip Zadarsky, with art by Kagan McLeod, which Zadarsky and McLeod sounds like an awesome cop show. Color assists by Becca Kinsey. It was 40 pages for the low, low price of $3.50. That's cheaper than your coffee, probably. Here's your solicit. A space expedition goes horribly wrong, because if it didn't, there would be no story. Reluctant explorer Keith Kanga and his crew crash land on Kaptara, a world filled with danger and weird danger and dangerous weirdos. <laughs> and if he can't survive, then Earth, the place where you live, what me, is doomed. Join Chip Zadarsky, sex criminals, the duck. <laughs> And Kay, that is a joke. For those of you who don't know, he's writing sex. He draws sex criminals and writes Howard the Duck. And they just kind of mashed it into sex criminals, the duck. And Kagan McLeod, who drew Infinite Kung Fu, a book Joe and I loved as they put the fi back into sci-fi and pretty much disregard the sci part in this epic story of punching and love. <laughs> God damn. Chip Zdarsky writes the best solicitations His solicits in the business. are pretty good, yeah. Captara seems to be the love child of Zdarsky and McLeod. Here, they tell the story of six dysfunctional astronauts on their way to Mars. But, like you heard, during the journey, their ship, the Kanga, is destroyed while being pulled through what seems to be a wormhole. Crew ejects in personal escape pods and crash lands on an alien world where Keith Kanga who was only put on the mission because he's related to the financier, is saved from an alien beast by a race of humanoid aliens. Also, he's a scientist. Uh, yeah. He's a qualified. Yeah, I don't know. It kind of sounds like he may or may not be. <laughs> I'm not he, sure. He's qualified. We'll get there. Captara is one hell of a comic created by two of the freshest and most creative talents in the business, and it's obvious they had a ton of fun here. Kagan McLeod is wildly talented. And he has got to have an animation background because his panels flow seamlessly into one another. I loved his design of the ship. He does a great job bringing each of the characters to life, even though all the astronauts are basically wearing space onesies. The aliens are beyond ridiculous, and the humanoid race Keith meets are almost drawn like caricatures from cult 70s sci-fi films. Zadarsky said in an interview that I read that playing with action figures as a kid inspired this story, and it completely shows Just like a kid in his room, Zdarsky isn't scared to murder his characters or mix and match armor and monsters from his toy box. His main character, Keith, a gay Indian, comes off as a reluctant Buck Rogers who's more interested in making sarcastic quips than saving the Earth. Unlike other comics smashing gay and multiracial characters into their cask, Zdarsky does it perfectly here with just a couple of comments and jokes rather than a huge reveal like, oh, I don't know. Iceman, you're gay! Anyway, my only problem with Captara is it might have been a little too much fun. Zadarsky's story seems to walk a fine line between Star Trek and a Judd Apatow film. He's going for realism and ridiculousness, and it can come off a little strange at times. 
I love the idea of the reluctant hero with a bad attitude and quick wit, but Keith seems a little too funny and relaxed at times when he should probably be terrified. There's a ton of good and bad sci-fi on the comic stands right now, and this definitely falls on the good side. I love the art. Zdarsky is a naturally funny writer. I just want him to stay away from current film references because it dates the book a little bit. Like, I felt like this is supposed to take place in the future, and they're talking about George Clooney and gravity. That just didn't really work for me. Maybe it's the near future. And I'd like him to get maybe just a little more serious with the story. Not black science serious, but maybe like fear agent serious, where there's still some comedy there, you know, but there's some weight to the story. Otherwise, the stakes can come off as pretty low. I'm still giving this a buy it because it was very well executed. And it felt fresh. It didn't feel like any other sci-fi book on the market right now. Uh-oh. Did I just change Joe's mind? No. Okay. Uh, I mean, I'm giving it a skim it okay. because I, for almost those exact same reasons, I feel like Captara is a comic book that doesn't really know what it wants to be. I agree. And that it made it come off as nothing in particular. Okay. When Zdarsky announced it at the Image Expo, he very jokingly called it the Gay Saga. Right. Or and then the solicitation is uh, also very hilarious. And then when you get to the comic, it's not as over the top, hilarious, Zdarsky esque as you want it to be or as you're expecting it to be. And then on the other hand, if he's trying to take a different tactic with it, it's not as serious sci fi fantasy as you want it to be. Yes, I agree with both those things. It's very schizophrenic in that regard. And yeah, I just. It's not that it's not beautifully drawn and it's not that it isn't a fun read. Not that I want to put it in a box, but I almost feel like when they announced it and solicited it, they were begging us to put it in a box, put it in the Zadarsky box. Well, it's hard not to. And or I don't. It's also hard not to put it in a sci-fi box. Sure. I mean, and I don't mean to say that Zadarsky isn't capable of writing, you know, different types of books. He doesn't always have to be the guy that writes Howard the Duck or the guy sure. that draws sex criminals. But I just don't think... I don't, it felt to me like he couldn't decide what he wanted it to be. And that made it feel like nothing. I'm willing to give it the benefit of the doubt. I also, I also think that the main character is not especially likable, uh, which was another strike against it because oh, definitely not. Yeah. I, I couldn't really get into, I couldn't make myself care whether or not he lived or died, especially when it's obvious that he's going to live pretty much from the jump. So I'm giving it a skim it. I'm, I'm sticking with it. It's just, it did not grab me like I was hoping it would when it was first announced. Yeah, I think this is a, a really solid first effort for sci-fi from a guy like Zdarsky and probably a very hard story to write. That's why I'm sticking with it as well. Yeah. Joey, we were both excited to see this one come back. Tell me about Empire Uprising, number oh, one. Yes. This is from IDW, written by Mark Wade, with art by Barry Kitson and colors by Chris Sotomayor. No relation to Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor. I think it's Sandra. Wow. We are good at this. <laughs> A couple of Americans paying attention. <laughs> it's 32 pages for $3.99. And been, I don't know that he's not related to her. So. I guess uh, that's true. He could be. I think it's just a safe bet. <laughs> Husband of Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor. <laughs> It's been a year since the events of the original Empire, and much has changed for Golgoth, the first supervillain to conquer the world. He thinks he controls most of the populated Earth, ruling through military might and fear, but he can't even trust his own superpowered staff. 
Can Golgoth hold on to his reign, and does he even want to? He's like holding a mirror up to Legend Comics, huh? I know, right? <laughs> I was a huge fan of Empire when it launched a decade ago, first from the defunct Guerrilla Comics, then eventually concluding at DC. Wade is able to get new readers and old readers that may have forgotten up to speed through a darkly hilarious school lesson where the teacher whitewashes Gol- Golgoth's horrific acts. Thank you, uh, Pages, for correcting it to Golgotha. Golgotha, which is a biblical thing. Golgotha right? is the mountain, the yeah. hill on which Christ was crucified. You're welcome. There you also, go. in the movie uh, Dogma, it was a demon made out of poop. Oh, yeah. The teacher whitewashes Golgoth's horrific acts to a group of school children while readers are shown the truth. Wade and Kitson illustrate the stranglehold Golgoth has on the world, on citizens far and wide, during what should be a touching tribute Yet they somehow manage to get the reader to sympathize with this monster when a group of rebels employ a truly vile, psychologically torturous tactic in their attack on the Capitol. Kitson's visuals are just as stunning now as they were 10 years ago. It's criminal how little work he's gotten over the years. Yeah, I was thinking criminal. that too. And I know that part of it is him. He's slow. Right. And Chris Sotomayor's colors are an excellent compliment to Kitson's line work. He's a slow artist. He's not handicapped. Yeah, Right. <laughs> Kid, jeez, he's he's slow. If you know what I mean. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, everyone. Kitson's character designs do a great job conveying certain personality traits of each cast member. Golgoth is appropriately intimidating. Others are creepy or appear untrustworthy or eager to prove their worth to their master. Empire has one of the greatest hooks. What if Doctor Doom actually succeeded in conquering the world? From there, it's a roller coaster ride that's equal parts of the West Wing and intense comic book action. Empire's Return is long overdue, and whether you're a longtime fan or someone new to the series, this is an absolute buy it from a group of comic book masters. Yeah, I don't think there's anything you said there that I disagree with or can add to. Mark Wade is one of the best in the business. Barry Kitson is one of my favorite artists that does not get enough work and should be held up there as like legendary guy. I love him. He's not flashy. He's not over the top. He's just fantastic at what that what he does. Realistic, perfect with emotion. He does great classic superhero style yeah. artwork, but his work is distinctive, and you yeah. know it's his when you look at instantly. it. instantly. Love both these guys. I so put him. I put him right back. up there with like a Mark Bagley. Yeah, there's nothing especially noteworthy about yeah. Mark Bagley's style, but you know it when you see it. Yeah, absolutely. Alan Davis, another guy. There you go. Same thing. Huge buy it from me as well. So that's a double buy it for Empire Uprising and a buy it and a skim it for Captara. As always, we want to know what you armored despots and gay astronauts. As always, we want to know what you armored despots and gay astronauts thought of these comics. So terrorize us with your opinions over at the THN forums, which you can find by clicking the forum button at twoheadednerd.com. With the news that Frank Miller was planning a Dark Knight 3, Joe and I realized there was only way to stop this madman. Dot, dot, dot. Time travel! Now, join us as Rip Hunter. Sends That's how I solve all my problems. <laughs> yeah, me too, these days. Now, join us as Rip Hunter sends us back in time to the bar where Miller drowns his sorrows and hatched this plan in a drunken stupor. 
I'm not totally sure how time travel works, but Joe swears we have to be nude. Just like Michael Bane in the Terminator. Right, and okay, I get it. And I was already naked anyway, so whatever. So, join us as we disrupt the time stream to steal the cocktail napkin that Miller scribbled the plot for his latest Dark Knight abomination on before it's born. And review ten more of this week's new comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round! Ludicrous Speed! Go! Wow. Bloodshot Reborn, number one from Valiant. Bloodshot is back. Sort of. Following the events of the Valiant, Bloodshot is in a rough spot. Sort of. But can't afford. No, it's really rough. Yeah, it's in a rough spot. But can't afford to stay in hiding when someone that looks like him, sort of, shoots up a theater. Amazing work by Jeff Lemire and Miko Swayan. Holy smokes, where's this guy been? Yeah. I know that he's done other work, but. He's been around for a long time. Holy But cats. not this good. Valiant is putting out some of the best comics on the stands right now. Buy it! G.I. Joe, a real American hero! Number 213 from IDW. Thank you. You can't talk about G.I. Joe comics without a secondary title anymore because IDW is currently publishing something like 10 of them. This is the one written by Larry Hama, the guy that all but created the classic Joes of the 80s and wrote the Marvel Joe series of the same decade that I grew up reading and still love to this day. Just like when Michael Jordan returned to the NBA to play for the Washington Wizards, Emma's return to G.I. Joe has been underwhelming. And this issue, titled The Death of Snake Eyes Part 2, wherein, spoiler, Hama kills Snake Eyes, did nothing for me. This is one of my childhood heroes and every man-child of the 80s favorite ninja. There shouldn't be a dry eye in the house. He died like a hero, I guess, but bad storytelling, over-narration, and mediocre art at best really spoiled the moment. I'm giving this a leave it. Archie versus Predator, number one from Archie. This is pretty much exactly what you'd expect based on the title. It's a cute idea brought to life by Alex DeCampi and Fernando Ruiz, but it lacks the punch I was looking for. It needs to be a little bit more afterlife with Archie and a little less actually Archie. It's not bad at all. It's just not what I was hoping for. Skim it. I liked it. I gave it a buy it. I I mean, I liked it, but I really thought it was going to be a little bit more like serious. That's fair. Convergence colon Hawkman number one from DC. Things are heating up in the fifth week event that is Convergence. Here we see pre-crisis Thanagarian Katar Hall along with Shiara, aka the pre-crisis Hawkman and Hawkwoman, running a museum in Gotham City as if it's business as usual, even though the city is trapped under a dome and the populace is pretty sure the world is ending. I love Jeff Parker, the writer who wrote this book. This just came off as silly. There was cheesy dialogue, worst design I've ever seen on a manhawk, which, according to Joe Patrick, is the real Silver Age manhawk. Have you ever, what do you mean the worst design you've ever seen? Have you ever actually seen the manhawks before? Yeah, no, like in the, the Jeff Johns and Jimmy Well, Palmiotti. those were way redesigned. Yeah, they were way redesigned, but they were terrifying and I liked them. I love Tim Truman and he's good here, but everything about this comic just felt kind of rushed and silly. I get they were going Silver Age. I just, I don't know if that works anymore. I don't get Convergence so far, and I'm finding it really hard to care. I just want to read a good Hawkman comic one more time before I die, and this was not it. Skim it. Okay, there you go. I was going to say, you picked up a comic book aimed at specific fans of the Silver Age Hawkman. It's true, (laughs) and are there any left out there? I thought it was great. I thought it was super fun. All right. Run over, uh, run, run, love, kill. It's all one word, mashed together. Number one from Image. Run Love Kill is a Luc Besson film brought to life in comic form, courtesy of Eric Canetti and Jonathan Sway. Sweet. It has a promising and exciting start, but then grinds to a screeching halt about ten pages in. 
From then on, it's kind of a standard, unoriginal, and even a little boring sci-fi tale. Kennedy's art is gorgeous. I'm intrigued enough to read more, but issue one gets a skim in. Yeah, it's an, it's an art highlight only for me, too. Yeah. Drones, number one from IDW. I'll be the first to admit it. I don't know what's going on here. Maybe comic storytelling has passed me by. I am almost 40, so it's a miracle I can understand anything you kids are reading these days. Tell me if I'm wrong, but there was nothing that let me learn anything about the main characters here. There's certainly some clever dialogue, but almost no story to grab hold of. I can't say I hate it, because the art by Bruno Oliveira was good, but I learned nothing about the main character who I can't even name at this point. And I won't be back for more. I'm giving it a leave it. Thrilling Adventure Hour presents Beyond Belief, number one from Image. Ben's Acker and Blacker reunite with Phil Hester for the ongoing adventures of Frank and Sadie Doyle, paranormal investigators and martini swillers. Like with Sparks Nevada, the translation from radio play to comic script takes some getting used to, but Beyond Belief hooks me a little bit better than Sparks did, and Phil Hester's presence certainly doesn't hurt. I'm giving this one a buy it. Hester was Hester was just great here. Yeah, so good. All new X-Men's number 40 from Marvel. Okay, let's get into it. Young Iceman is gay, but old Iceman may or may not be. Yeah, he's probably gay too. It's a weird it situation. Be, look, it would be really bad if Marvel said that the adult Bobby was not gay. I guess. I don't, I don't know. It's a weird situation, but I have to say... BM Bendis handles it well, and I really enjoyed the issue. Say what you will about Bendis, I'm going to miss him when he's gone, and I honestly don't think the X-Men have ever been written with this much soul and humanity. Yes, it's all going away with whatever happens in Battleworld, but the X-Men's as good as I have ever needed it to be, and I need to read at least one good X-Book a month, or there's going to be a problem that makes more than the CNN ticker. I'm giving this a bite. Convergence! Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes, number one, from DC. Stuart Moore and Gus Storms deliver this tale of the Legion of Superheroes displaced from the Earth-1 metropolis of the pre-crisis DC Universe. Got that? <laughs> After a year under the dome, Superboy struggles to live up to a future legacy that may never come to pass. Moore does a great job capturing the interpersonal relationships that make the Legion so much fun, and the art by Gus Storms is awesome. This is hands down my favorite Convergence tie-in so far. I'm giving it a buy it. I would love to see Jimmy Kimmel send one of his writers to Times Square to try and pitch these books to people on the street <laughs> and just look at their face. <laughs> like, what in the f*** are you talking like, about? Say what you will about <laughs> uh, about Convergence, but it is certainly pushing all of my buttons. It is like laser guided at Super focused, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> and I know that the most, of, the most comic readers do not give a s*** and I don't care. That's me. Infinite Loop, number one from IDW. Here we're introduced to a perfectly capable heroine dealing with time anomalies, along with the help of a perfectly prissy male counterpart controller, and the results are both hilarious and well executed. Artist Elsa Chartier. Chartier. Chartier is fantastic here with a cartoony style that reminds me of what I love about artists like Darwin Cook. It's hard to take a story about time travel and make it human and relatable, but that is... But just like what I love about Doctor Who, Infinite Loop won me over. I'm giving this a buy it. This was a great book. It looked real good. I haven't read it yet, but it looks pretty. Roar! That is your ludicrous speed round. And roar is the sound of a time-displaced T-Rex as seen in this week's issue of Infinite Loop number one. Be sure to disrupt our time stream with your reviews of this week's comics over 
at the This Week's Comic section of the THN forums. It could not be better named. It's very, very specific. It is exactly what it is. It's never easy when a fellow ninja and member of the Yarashikage Ninja Clan passes, but it only seems right that this week, Matt and I reveal that we are also members of the same ninja cult as Snake Eyes, so as to truly reveal the depth of our morning. It's bad. Listen. We're upset. It's not a cult. It's a clan. It's a cult. It's a clan. Oh, they turned out to be evil. Storm Shadow was running things. It was a cult. But I got this tattoo. I did too. We were idiots. We were soft. We were soft-skulled ninja idiots. <laughs> Matt, I know you've been holding your 4M tattoo and crying for days now, but can you take a break and tell the listeners what you're excited to read next week? My pick is Mayday, number one, from Black Mask Comics, written by Kurt Pyers, with art by Chris Peterson. Here is your solicit. A washed-up, drug-addicted screenwriter and a transgendered bartender, just like you and me, stumble onto a satanic cult's plan to sacrifice people all across L.A., geomapped in the form of a pentagram, of course! And bring on Armageddon. As our intrepid damaged heroes embark on a suicide mission to stop the crazy cultists, even they wonder if this is all really happening or if they're just plain crazy. Probably both! The latest project from Kurt Pyers, who also does pop, apparently, sees him teaming with art sensation Chris Peterson, who did Grindhouse for Dark Horse, for a story that cuts to the very center of Hollywood mythology and depravity itself! Black Mask has been putting a lot of really good stuff out lately been really impressed with it and i think this looks great art looks really nice joe patrick what is your pick for next week next week i am excited and sad to see fantastic four 645 from marvel comics written by james robinson and various with art by leonard kirk and various it's exercised lots of stories here's your solicit the most controversial fantastic four story concludes in an extra-sized special! Who decided it was the most controversial? Bullet! <laughs> Will the Fantastic Four defeat the Quiet Man and the corrupted forces of the Heroes Reborn universe? Bullet! Will Johnny get his powers back? <laughs> Funny, it says, Will the Johnny get his powers back? Will Reed and Sue be a family again? Bullet! Will this be the end, or will this be forever? It's the number four. Oh, okay. And then E-V-E-R, as though it's one word. I'm I'm just pretending to get it. I don't understand. (laughs) I have really loved this run on the Fantastic Four by James Robinson and Leonard Kirk. I know you have. I feel like it just didn't latch on with people, and that is a shame. Because I I went back and I read it all in one shot, and I really dug it. I tried. And I am excited to see the conclusion of this Quiet Man storyline. Don't know what's going to happen with the FF after this. I don't actually believe that Marvel is shelving them because that's stupid. They're going to sit in their room and hold their breath until Fox gives it back. <laughs> Guess what? Everything's getting canceled for Secret Wars. It's <laughs> yeah. not a real big surprise. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, absolutely. If you haven't uh, checked this run out, please do. Get the collections when it comes out. It's great. Next week's THN Trade of the Week goes to Super Mutant Magic Academy from Drawn and Quarterly, written and illustrated by Jillian Tamaki. Here's your solicit. The Super Mutant Magic Academy is a prep school for mutants and witches, but their paranormal abilities take a backseat to everyday teen concerns. Science experiments go awry, bake sales are upstage, and the new kid at school is a cat 
who will determine the course of human destiny. Oh, dang it. Is it actually a cat or is he like a cool cat? Like this cat? Yeah. What's this cat's deal? This volume combines the most popular content from the webcomic with a selection of all new, never before seen strips that conclude Jillian's account of life at the Academy. The reason I picked this book is because Jillian Tamaki is getting a lot of buzz lately. She uh, she drew another book that came out earlier this year or late last year called This One Summer that got a lot of attention. Okay. And this is uh, one of her solo projects. I think it's definitely worth checking out. I was about to ask you why you picked this book. That's why. I and it. also, I couldn't find anything better. Fair enough. That is, sounds very reductive. I am actually excited to read this, Isn't but the, also there's nothing better. When you're done mourning our fallen brother, this information has been redacted. Head over to the THN forums and let us know what you're excited to read next week. If you're going to kill him, why not just show us his face? Oh, shocker. Snake Eyes from an alternate timeline when there's a dozen other books with Snake Eyes in it (laughs) died. Boo-hoo, I'm real sad. (laughs) (laughs) Once a month. Joe and I like to leave the floppies behind and review a complete graphic novel in a little segment we like to call Take a Look. It's in a book. This month in Take a Look, we're discussing the original Image Comics graphic novel Sex Castle by Kyle Starks. The former world's greatest assassin leaves the world of killing to a small town only to be pulled right back in. It's an exciting action romp in the style of Every classic 80s action film it's you can true. think of. Absolutely true. <laughs> I was reading this while on tour on my iPad, and a couple of guys looked over my shoulder and said, What the f are you reading? <laughs> it, it is a black and white, extremely minimalist, very cartoony story. Uh, let's get this out of the way right now. The art is not strong. I disagree. It, the art style is not strong. Yes. But the storytelling is very strong. And I would argue that. I don't think you could execute a book like this, a tongue-in-cheek, obvious comedy homage to literally every 80s action film you can think of without art this cartoony and cute. Even. <laughs> you know, it, it really did read like a story that you might doodle in the margins of your social studies notebook in Absolutely. eighth grade, especially... Uh, this is a very mild spoiler. I won't tell you the context, but there's a scene where <laughs> Sex Castle and another uh, assassin are having a standoff. We should mention the main character's name is Shane Sex Castle. Shane Sex Castle, right. And uh, in this scene, he's standing off against this other assassin and they both fire at the same time. Sex Castle is unscathed. The other guy dies and, and his dying breath is like, what? Wow. And Sex Castle's response is, with one gun, I shot your bullet out of the air, and then I shot you with my other gun. <laughs> and that is something I feel like I literally wrote when I was 12. Right. Like, it, it's like from the mind of, like, a sixth grader, <laughs> you know? The main character, Shane, is obviously Kurt Russell from Big Trouble Little China and Escape from New York. Right. <laughs> like, he's the toughest, baddest, meanest, most ridiculous one-liner dropping dude in the world. But he's, it's not... They go right past the cheese of like 80s one liner into ultimate ridiculousness. Like when we first meet Shane, he walks into this totally generic, you know, diner in small town USA. And there's like bratty kid crying like, I want a milkshake. He's freaking out and crying and throwing a fit, whatever. And Sex Castle points to the kid and goes, hey, kid, 
real men don't cry. He's like, unless, you know, the mama dies. Like, unless your mama dies or your dick gets messed up by a bear or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like the book is just full. I mean like real bad yeah. like by a bear <laughs> yeah, like the, the book is just full of these like one liners on crack and steroids yeah <laughs> like, it is ultimate ridiculous macho mayhem but there actually is a heart to this story right in there and that's what threw me they introduce this love like this love interest for Shane that he knows from the past she's a beautiful a Asian assassin ninja beautiful Asian female ninja and of course she's been sent to kill him and she's totally badass and probably can but she just can't resist how sexy he is <laughs> <laughs> and they have this forbidden love from the yeah. past and it turns out her dad was his master and like spoiler yeah, it's like all this ridiculousness to the story but there really is this heart to it where like he is living with this woman and her son, a single mom and her son who runs a flower shop. Yeah. And he just wants to work in the flower shop. All he wants to do is tend to his garden. Yeah. You know, and grow plants and give people pretty flowers. Yeah, so it's like first blood, right? He, uh, Rambo comes home from Vietnam and right. he's all messed up. Yeah. And he just wants to live a normal life, but he, they won't let him. Yeah. Shane they won't let him. He can't get away from his past and he's tracked by this league of assassins. Yeah. He, run, he runs afoul of a local politician <laughs> who is very much the bad guy from roadhouse sure <laughs> like without a doubt you know then he yeah there's this uh, league of assassins the nine other deadliest assassins in the world and it's arnold schwarzenegger yeah uh hulk hogan hulk, hulk hogan <laughs> thunderbutt uh mr t uh uh jean-claude van damme who is twins right. <laughs> uh, steven who is, seagal who is twins in uh what was the movie is double blood sport double or Impact? lionheart no, it was like Double Impact or something. Maybe it's Double Impact. The name had to like, you know, yeah. there had to be a pun, right? But yeah, it, it, oh, Clint Eastwood is one of them. <laughs> well, I don't know if it was supposed to be Clint Eastwood or it was supposed to be... No, he was Dirty Harry. He was like Dirty Harry. He was okay. definitely Clint Eastwood. All right, I'll give you that. Okay. He never I, misses. See, I thought they were also going for uh, this... Uh, What's his name? Uh, Death Wish. Charles Bronson type thing. Because he had like a mustache. Oh, I guess uh, it could have been Charles Bronson. I felt like it was yeah, maybe I read a, it as Clint Eastwood. A mixture of Clint Eastwood It could and be Charles either Bronson. one. Yeah. Really either one. But yeah, it's so much fun and the homages are so great. And, you know, like Matt said, the quips. And uh, it's the sort of book where uh, the, <laughs> you're, this is going to get bleeped so you won't know what we're talking about. But uh, the sound effects talk about... <laughs> Uh, instead of being like blam, like onomatopoeia, right. it's like he, he punches a guy in the crotch and the sound effect is it's like uh it's like teen girl squad yeah from uh, strong bad and one of the sound effects was arrowed <laughs> <laughs> like everything about this is ultimately macho ultimately ridiculous just like everything you loved about movies like schwarzenegger commando or yeah kickboxing anything made or, by steven seagal right. or van damme anything that came out from carl co back in the sure, yeah. in the cocaine fueled 80s this is just a an open love letter to those ridiculous movies written very tongue-in-cheek by a very intelligent writer artist there is some ridiculous heart here but it ended really well and I really enjoyed this. I did too. I can't I, give this a bigger buy it. I totally agree. It's a buy it from me. And, you know, like you said, it is making fun of, it's simultaneously making fun of these ridiculous movies 
while also professing its undying love oh, yeah. for these ridiculous movies. Yeah. And it is super fun. It appears to be very simple, but it is actually multi-layered. I can't believe I'm saying right. it, but it is. If you have an appreciation for old action movies, yeah. this is a must read. Yeah. If you're an older guy, grew up in the uh, 80s, you will love this. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> That is a double buy at four. Sex Castle from Image next month. We'll be reviewing The Realist from Boom Studios, written and illustrated by Israeli cartoonist Asaf Hanukkah. That is how you pronounce it, according to the it's comic. Like, it's like Hanukkah Harry. Yeah. <laughs> or, as Matt likes to call him, Asaf Chanaka. You can let us know what you thought of Sex Castle or suggest a graphic novel for us to review over at the Take a Look section of the THN forums. Sort of break it, break it down like this. And that is it for the return of the shell of the man that was once Matt Bomb episode of THN. If you like podcasts featuring hosts that are too good for C2E2, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes, Stitcher, or tune in. And while you're there, you can leave us your star ratings, your reviews, your thumbs up, and your little hearts because it helps us to find more of you soft skulled potential listeners. The real reason I didn't go to C2E2 is because I didn't want to disappoint New Mutant. I was afraid that once he met me, the mystique would be gone oh, and yeah? he wouldn't appreciate me is as that much. that right? <laughs> That's a good excuse. Yeah. Thank you to all of our donors. And if you want to keep Matt and I connected to the net so we can see how much fun you pricks are having at C2E2, you can do so by clicking our PayPal button at twoheadednerd.com. If you want to become a sustaining member, it's as easy as clicking the Make This Donation Monthly box, and as little as a dollar a month really does help. If you're interested in sponsoring THN, shoot us an email with the subject line, Sponsorship. While you are there, you can find links to all of our contact info via Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Skype, Tumblr, and the Ziggurat Hotline, 402-819-4894. Using this list of resources, you can beg the comic pushers for a new read, you can hit us with your Ask a Nerd questions or trivia, or you can defend your questionable nerd tastes in front of the two-headed judge for our Defender segment, or you can ask us to review your self-published comic via printed, digital, drawn on the back of our plane tickets to San Diego for Comic-Con, hint, hint, whatever. And don't forget to sign up for the THN forums. It's your little virtual piece of the ziggurat where you can discuss this week's show. You can learn more about our segments and how you can be a part of them, or you can just rap about comics. If you dig the music you hear on this show, you can follow our soundtrack playlist on Spotify by searching for Matt Bomb's Spotify profile. Remember to follow Two at a Nerd on Twitter, like our Facebook page, and watch the forums if you want to get in on the question of the week discussion. And then be sure to tune in to hear your answers on the Answer of the Week podcast every Wednesday. More or less. Yeah. Next week, Joe and I are going to hit you with our comprehensive, spoilerific review of Avengers Age of Ultron. Oh, should it be spoilerific? Absolutely. We can't. We're not pulling punches, man. We're not pulling punches. All right. Be aware. Yeah. All, in, the, all the real nerds will have seen it. Almost everywhere in the country, you can now go see these movies on Thursday night it's, for some it's reason. True. So you've got time. You've got until Sunday to get it out of your system. I don't want any whining. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Dean Ormston, who had to put Black Hammer, his new creator-owned series with Jeff Lemire, on hold after suffering a cerebral brain hemorrhage. Yikes. Dean's on the road to recovery now, and Black Hammer will launch as soon as he's able to return to the drawing table. The good news is he will be able to return, it sounds like it. Word to you, sir. Hope recovery is a quick one. That sounds scary. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics because your retailer could drop dead at any time and you'd never have the chance to do the right thing and help a working nerd with their monthly orders. I'm feeling a little sick, to be honest. You never know, man. 
You get killed walking your doggy. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off.